Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here at Kern Church. We're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you with a life renewed by Jesus. And I'm so thankful you joined us in worship today. Thank you for those of you that are joining online. I pray that that you're able to connect with God online as you worship today. Well, let me uh, say a word of prayer this morning for you all and, uh, and ask God to really, really dwell here as we continue to worship the one who loves us. God, I give you thanks this day for your love, for your unending and, and, and abundant love. You promised to pour out that love on each one. And so this day, oh God, I ask that you pour out your love here at Kern Church. You pour out your abundant love on each one who's worshiping you in person and online. May your spirit be blessed as we praise Your name, help, us, help our hearts to be open to the love that You have for us. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God, I thank You. I thank You for Your Spirit that continues to fall and I ask that over the next few moments as we look at your scriptures and that you will open our hearts to hear what you have for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, always the first to admit that my musical talent and abilities are very non-existent. Um, my musical repertoire doesn't really include anything other than, you know, you don't have to call me by my name. Like, that's the height of my music repertoire, the perfect country and western song. So it, it's, it's not very deep, it's not very diverse, and that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, but, but, while, but in the midst of this, I have to say that I do love singing in church, I'm always scared, though, because I wear a microphone pack that, it, that um, somehow it's going to pick up my singing and include it in the mix. Even when I have it off, um, even when I have it off, I'm scared that it's on, okay? And, and I'm scared that, that, that it's just going to happen. I'm church choirs are the worst for this because they want to they invite and include so many people, but they really don't want to include me. They don't know that they don't want to include me, but they don't. I, I don't have the, 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 the wherewithal to know. Regardless, though, one of the songs that I remember I, I would sing, especially sing as a child, um, is, is I assume it's a, a song I, I think my parents taught me, but it's a, a simple, simple song that we teach our children, maybe a vacation Bible school song. He's got the whole world in his hands. And this is one of the easiest songs to sing. We, we taught it to our own kids as we have kids now. And, and it, it's just, you just repeat. I love this song because you just repeat the title line like four times, and that's the song. I've asked, I've asked Chris to play it for us this morning. He's got the whole world in his hands 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 
I made sure to mute my mic so I wouldn't mess it up for anybody else. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate that. You know, Hope and I sing this own song, sing this song too with our children, especially when they were little. We decided that we would get more sophisticated, of course, and we changed the language a little bit and, and started singing God's got the whole world in his hands. Or when we wanted to be super inclusive, we'd just get rid of the pronouns for God and say God's got the whole world in God's hands. Uh, but maybe it's not more sophisticated. Maybe it's just more specific because, you know, I, I guess he and the original could apply to anyone with male pronouns. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, what, who is he that's got the whole world in his hands? I'm glad it's God and I'm glad it's not me. What I love about this little song, though, is that it speaks of the universal nature of God. What Chris just led in singing, it speaks of how universal God's love is. God has the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole world in His hands. It speaks about how God loves and cares for all, all of the world. And if God's got the whole world in His hands, everything is going to be okay. Now, it doesn't always, life, lived life, doesn't always hold up to the way we sing in children's songs, um, but, it, but, but that's okay because it's, it's this idea, this idea of, of power, of the love of God. But the song begins with the universal idea that God's got this, that God loves you, that God has the whole world in His hand, that God cares for the whole world. But then the song moves from the universal idea of God. God having the whole world in his hands to the particular. It goes from the universal big idea to the particular, and God says that God's got you and me in his hands. If you keep singing the other stanzas, it goes even more specific that God, God has, and you can add just whomever you wanted to. We would sing our children's names, and we would sing our children's names in the song, right? Because we just want to, to highlight the fact that God's love is universal, but God's love is also particular. God holds you and me, brother, in his hands. God holds you and me, sister, in his hands. And so it's not just that God holds the world God also holds you. God holds you. That, that God holds you and cares for you is something that I, I think that can be hard for a lot of people to really believe. Maybe you, you, you kind of know this idea if you've grown up in church or you have a faith background. Maybe you have this idea that, yeah, God loves me. Yeah, God can hold me. But I think it's also hard to, to believe it actually in your heart that, that something that, that is so true and so particular could actually be true in your life. And that is something that I want you to know that Jesus lived on a daily basis. And so today I want to share with you an encounter that a woman had with Jesus. And this encounter is actually, is actually pretty unique for, for the time and place in which it happened. You see, Jesus was Jewish. And, and as a Jewish person, Jesus followed the Jewish customs of his day. And there's a whole host of customs that, that, that were a part of his life. There's a whole host of customs that, that you follow each and every day, even though you don't realize you follow these customs. And so Jesus followed customs in his day, and probably some of them he didn't even realize that he was following them. But one of these customs was that Jews didn't spend time with these people who were neighbors to the Jews, the Samaritans. Now today, you may know about the Samaritans through the term Good Samaritan. We have Good Samaritan laws. We, a Good Samaritan is somebody who, who helps another person, especially 
helps a stranger. You know, a good Samaritan goes out of their way to help a stranger. But this just wasn't the case when Jesus was around. I mean, the term Samaritan for a Jew perhaps would be a slur. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And that's part of what makes this encounter unique. Because the encounter is between a Samaritan woman and Jesus. If you have a Bible and want to to follow along with me, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. And John is one of the four Gospels in the Bible that tell the good news about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus has kind of been on a long journey, and now he's ready for a break. So I'm going to pick up the story in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. He, he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land. That's, he is Jesus. He's on this journey. Which was near the land uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. So what's going on here is Jesus had been traveling. He's tired. It's noon. It's hot. And so he sits down at this well in the kind of deserted. People don't go get water generally in the middle of the day because it's hot. So Jesus sits there and there's this Samaritan woman that's come to draw water for herself, perhaps her family. And Jesus tells her, you know, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. Jesus isn't obeying the customs of the day that say that Jews and Samaritans wouldn't talk, much less men and women talking like this. And so the Samaritan woman realizes that something is wrong with the scenario. So she, before we pick up the story in verse 9, the Samaritan woman asks, why do you, a Jewish man, ask me for something to drink? A Samaritan woman. And then John tells us that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket, and this well is deep. I love this. She calls him out on it. Jesus said, if you knew who you're talking to, I'd give you. You'd ask me for water. Jesus said, but she's like, you don't even have a bucket. You're asking me for water. How, how could you get a drink? How could you give me a drink? You don't have a bucket. The, the, the well is too deep. Where would you even get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. She knows that, right? You know that. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. So here the Samaritan woman recognizes the custom, the social custom, that these two aren't supposed to be talking to each other, that they're not supposed to be spending time together. So she questions Jesus about why he's even asking her for water. And then they have this conversation about water and the well, and then Jesus makes a claim about who he is about the nature of who Jesus is. And this claim that Jesus makes about himself begins to change the conversation that's going on here. Jesus says to the woman, I can give all living water 
that bubbles up to eternal life. Jesus says, you know, if you knew who I was, I could give you living water which bubbles up to eternal life. I can give all who, who, who desire it a living water and they will never be thirsty again. Here Jesus points to this universal thing, this universal truth, and says, I love so much. I love so much that, that I came to give all a living water from which they, people can drink and never be thirsty again. I came to give all a living water that will quench thirst forevermore. Jesus wants you to know that his love is for all. Jesus wants this woman to know that his love is for all and his presence is for all. And she moves then from the universal. She, the woman, moves and, and sees this idea that, that Jesus has something to give all people, to give all. So she sees this universal, and then she makes a move to the particular and wonders if it's available to her, even to her, a Samaritan woman from a Jewish man. She wonders if the love is available to all. Could it actually be available to her? You see, Jesus' love is available to all, and Jesus' love is for you. The conversation continues in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me. Give me. Give me this water so that I will never be thirsty. and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go and get your husband and come back. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You have five husbands, and the man that you're with now isn't even your husband. So you've spoken the truth. And, and the woman is, is astonished at this and probably embarrassed from what we see later on. and says, sir, I, I see that you're a prophet. I mean... The conversation is getting really personal now. Jesus went from talking about this universal living water and love that he had for all people, and then it gets really personal and really intimate. This woman who, who had come to the well in the middle of day is getting some information about herself that she probably didn't expect to get from a stranger. She recognizes that, that Jesus has this loving invitation to all, and then she wonders if perhaps that she can have some. And so she says, please give me some of this everlasting water that you're speaking about. And then they start to talk about her personal life. And, and, and you and, and I as the leader, reader learns that she has a complex personal life. We don't know the details of, of how her life came to be this way, but she, she's had five husbands. We don't know why or what the scenario was of, of how she had five husbands, of if they passed away, if they divorced, or what happened. Um, and now we learn that she's living with a man who is not her husband. You and I don't have to know the details around this, but it seems as if she has some shame about it. She has some shame about her living scenario. You don't have to know about first century politics and culture to realize she has shame about this because she's hiding the fact that she isn't married to the, to the man that she is living with. She's hiding this fact. She's trying to conceal it. She's saying, you know, I do have a husband even when, she's do even when she doesn't. So without you or I giving any value to this woman or her living conditions, because that's not helpful, she herself is experiencing shame and concern about it. This shows us that 
you know, she struggles. Perhaps she considers her, her situation a little less than ideal. Perhaps she, she struggles with her own feelings of unworthiness and, and self-confidence. Do you ever struggle with these things? Do you ever struggle with, with feeling unworthy about something or struggle with your own confidence as it relates to something? Do you ever struggle with feeling that, that if something good happens that, that you perhaps don't really deserve that good thing in, in life? If you, believe, if you believe in God, perhaps you believe, sure, God loves everyone. I, I know God loves everyone. You may believe, sure, He's got the whole world in His hands. But, but do you believe that Jesus can actually, can actually love you? That Jesus' love is actually for, for you? Not just for the whole world, but actually, actually for you, specifically you. Do you believe that Jesus can know all of your junk and actually love you? I mean, that kind of knowledge and love is, is what's at stake in this woman's encounter with Jesus. And the encounter continues. And she continues to be overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. And down in verse 25, 25 she says this, I, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. So she has this knowledge that the Messiah is coming and that this Messiah will, will, teach, will teach everything to us. Like the, the Messiah will teach everyone and, and the whole community about who God is. And then Jesus just responds to her and says, I am, I am the one who speaks with you. I am the Messiah. The one who is speaking with you is the one who you're speaking of, in this moment is made clear that the love of Jesus actually is for her. That the love of Jesus for her is real. It actually is for her and that it's important. Jesus says, you talk about the Messiah. Well, I am the Messiah. Perhaps Perhaps at this time she realizes that the, the Savior of the whole world, the one whom the prophets had talked about, the one who has been told about in the marketplace, the one who has been anticipated for some time, it, the, the Savior of the whole world is coming to her to visit her out of all the people in her community, out of all the people in all the land. He's come to her. The chosen one of God has chosen me, perhaps she's thinking, the chosen one of God has chosen me and is offering me love. Is offering me something that I perhaps don't even think I deserve. Even in my messed up life, even in all the shame that I carry, God has come to me and chosen me with love. Maybe she realizes, yes, God loves the whole world, and God loves me. This love and realization is so much that she has to share it and does so in, in verse 29. We read that the woman put down her water jar and, and went into the city, and she said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Now, normally, if somebody told her everything she had done, like this would be a cause of shame, but yet she says it with, with, with acclamation. She said, could this man be the Christ? And so the other people left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. I love this statement. Come and see a man who's told me everything 
I've done. I mean, this is a long way from her trying to hide who she was and her trying to hide the, the shame that perhaps she's experiencing around her, her situation, the fact that she's had five husbands and is living with a man who isn't her husband. No longer is she ashamed of where she has been and what's going on in her life. And, and perhaps this isn't verbally spoken, but I have to imagine that it's implied. Come, come and see a man who has told me everything that I've done and loves me anyways. Come and see this man who, who has told me everything about my whole life and yet chooses to love me anyways. Then the people she spoke to went out to the well to check things out. And, and John, who is, is writing this down, writes in, in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified he told me everything I've done. I love this. I mean, not only does it impact her, but it impacts all those in the city. Many of the Samaritans in the city, when they hear that, that, that Jesus told her everything she had done and loved her anyways, that they too became convinced of the love of God. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His Word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the Savior of the world. The chosen of God, the Savior of the world, chose this woman, an outcast in society, and said, I love you. And, and then chose all these people that, that, that the Jews normally wouldn't associate with and says, you know, I love you, I love you too. Not only did this woman learn that, that Jesus loved her, but she, but she wanted to share this good news with others. And share it she did. And many in town came to the knowledge and realization that God loved them too. That the Savior of the world was also their Savior, no matter what they had done or where they had been. That Jesus' love is available to all, and Jesus' love is for you. Now, sometimes it's easy to believe the universal. It's easy to believe the universal that, that God loves everyone, but it can be really hard or really difficult to believe the particular that God loves, that God loves you, that God could, could love you. I mean, maybe you cognitively know it, but it can be difficult to really, to really know it in your heart, to feel it in your heart. Someone who really struggled with this in life was a guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley lived in the eight, 1700s and was best known as the founder of the Methodist movement. So, so Kern Church, as a United Methodist Church, we claim Wesley as one of our, our spiritual founders. And, and, and in the midst of his life and ministry, he really struggled with this idea that God's love could even be for him. He knew and was certain that, yeah, God's love was for all, but but could it actually be for me? Could God love me actually for who I am? Then one day, he had an experience, not unlike the experience of the Samaritan woman at the well, and he wrote about it, wrote about it in, in, in something that was later published in his journal. Here's what he wrote. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society at Altersgate Street. I love the fact that John Wesley is writing about a spiritual moment that I'll share in just a moment, but he says, you know, I didn't want to go there. 
Sometimes that's the way God works. Perhaps the woman didn't want to go draw water at noon, but God led her to draw water at noon. John Wesley says, I didn't want to go there. I unwillingly went to the society at Altersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So Martin Luther translated the book of Romans from probably the Latin Vulgate into German, and so he wrote a preface to it, and they're reading the preface to the book of Romans. I mean, really riveting stuff, I'm sure. Uh, you know, like if you're struggling with insomnia, perhaps this is the kind of thing that you might read. Um, but, but here he was reading it, and about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through Christ, faith in Christ, Wesley writes that I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins. Even, even mine. Even mine. And saved me from the law of sin and death. At this point in John Wesley's ministry, he had already been in ministry. He had already been leading people to a greater awareness of the love of God, but yet he struggled with accepting God's love for himself. Maybe we would call this imposter syndrome today. This idea that, that you're trying to do something, but yet you don't feel like you're good enough. You don't feel like you're worthy enough. I mean, he, he didn't live a bad life. He wasn't full of, of, of a lot of things that you might classify as sins. But, but yet he, he had this awareness of his own heart that he didn't really think he was communing to God even though he, he shared with others about the love of God. He still struggled with accepting God's love for himself. Then something happened. Then something happened as happened with the woman at the well. And in a moment... In a moment, he felt and experienced that Jesus' love was actually for him. That Jesus did indeed love even him. That Jesus indeed had taken away his sins, even mine, he writes. Even mine. Jesus' love is available to all, and Jesus' love is for you. And Here's the hard part about this. I can only tell you that it's true. I can only tell you that Jesus' love is available to all and Jesus' love is for you. I can only tell you that Jesus' love is for you. And, and I, I mean, I'm hard-headed. I, my mom used to say that talking to me was like, like talking to a brick wall. And like, like I, I mean, perhaps my family would think that today. I hope to think I've softened a bit. But, but maybe you're as hard-headed to me and, and I could just like talk and try to tell you how much God actually does love you. But, but, but I can't make you believe it. I can't make you receive it in your heart. And maybe, maybe you're like that and you still don't have it or don't believe it all in your heart. Or, or maybe you believe that Jesus loves you as a, as a concept, but, but you don't or don't really want to believe it in your heart. There's only so much that I can do to, to tell you about it to tell you about it. And so this is something that you have to figure out with Jesus. Something that, that Wesley figured out when he didn't even want to go to this prayer meeting and in the midst of this, this, this spirit of probably being a little perturbed that he was there, God spoke to him in a way that changed his life. God offers to do this to you. There's only so much that I can, I can do about this. Instead, it, it, it's something that you have to figure out with Jesus. It's, it, this is a gift that, that God wants to give you. 
that, that God wants you to, to receive of the woman out of the well, an assurance that, that Jesus loves even you. Even you. In the midst of all the things that are, that are wrong with you, in the midst of all your insecurities and anxieties, in the midst of all your sin, and in the midst of all your past, that Jesus really does want to love even you. And so right now, I, I want to move just into a time of prayer and, and ask God's Spirit to, to speak to you. And I, and I want to invite you to just pray wherever you are. Maybe you want to come forward and, and pray and and knowing that, that God is the one who can speak these words in your life. Oh God, I ask that You open the hearts of each one. As much as I can say it, I could, I could speak all day about how, how God loves even, even me. But yet it's up to you to make us believe. So I'm praying for each one that's here this morning that if there's, if there's somebody in worship online or here in this, in this place that needs to hear this for you, that you will speak to them in, in, in this moment. That you love even them. And maybe it doesn't happen all at once, but maybe it happens as a whisper and a trickle of water then forms a canyon of love in their hearts. Move, O Holy Spirit. I pray that not one leaves this place today without knowing that, yes, indeed, you do love them. Move, Holy Spirit. Oh, hear this prayer, hear this song, God. Let it be, let it be. May the way maker, the light in the darkness impress upon your heart that you are loved. Go forth from this place knowing that you are loved. If you're joining us online today, I want to say thank you and may God bless you richly. May the God of all the universe speak to you and say that yes, even you, you even you are loved. Go forth in the love of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.